our reading this morning is taken from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune moment came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came, uh, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised, he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask him for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed that because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The story we've just read will be familiar to many of us. It's a story of guilt and revenge and murder. Even people who've never read the Bible know it because it's often been portrayed in uh, uh, paintings and films and stage productions. And it, at its climax is the gory, severed head of John the Baptist. But this morning, instead of focusing on King Herod or on Herodias' wife or uh, Herodias' dancing daughter, I'd like us to celebrate and learn from the amazing life of St. John the Baptist. Uh, but first, let us pray. God, our Father, once again, we ask you to open our ears and our hearts so that we may hear and receive anything that you want to say to us this morning. Last week, we began a new series on uh, Christian discipleship based on the Gospel of Mark. And this week, I'd like us to look together at three aspects of discipleship that emerge from the account that we've just read. John is most famous for his constant calls to repentance, uh, his proclamation of the coming of the Messiah, and for baptizing 
uh, hordes of people in the River Jordan. Um, and although he's not one of the twelve, John the Baptist did pave the way for Jesus' disciples, and, uh, and his, his character was embodied in three great hallmarks of discipleship. Um, they are humility and repentance and courage. And it's on these three hallmarks or qualities of discipleship, humility, uh, repentance and courage, that I'd like us to focus for the next few minutes. So what about humility? Well, first of all, the word, it's a word that many of us um, uh, believe conjures up images of weakness. Uh, it, um, we may associate it with being a doormat. Um, and in today's competitive world, uh, humility is not a quality which many of us would naturally aspire to. Uh, but And when we think of the, the passionate and fervent uh, proclamations of John the Baptist, uh, we can easily look, uh, we can easily overlook uh, his remarkable uh, humility. Uh, from his birth, John was destined for great things. He was, the, the, he, he was a miracle baby born to a barren couple six months before the birth of Jesus. His mother was Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, Jesus' mother. And his dad uh, was a rabbi um, in the, of the tribe of Levi. Uh, his name was Zacharias. And he held a privileged position uh, among the rabbis of that time. With such a background, uh, you could have uh, expected John to aspire to a great rabbinical career. But God had another plan for him. Uh, God called uh, John the Baptist to self-isolation in the desert, uh, he, where he could better hear God's voice and prepare for a great prophetic ministry. Deserts are dry and barren places, away from the noise and distractions of civilization. And deserts feature greatly in the Bible. It was in a desert that uh, God spoke to Moses. It's in a desert that he led his uh, chosen people um, after their escape from slavery in Egypt. In a desert, he formed them uh, into a nation before they entered the promised land. And it's in a desert that Jesus spent 40 years praying and fasting before he started his earthly ministry. And it's into a desert that the crowds came to hear John the Baptist proclaim the word of God and to uh, announce the coming uh, of the, Jesus the Messiah and to call the, his nation to repentance. John was a great prophet with a great follower. But see, notice his response when he caught sight of Jesus among those presenting themselves for baptism. Remember, John was the older cousin and John was a priest uh, and at this point in time, John had many disciples, while Jesus still had no followers at all. So when John, but when John saw Jesus coming, he right away knew in whose presence he was. And he didn't make any attempt at all to outshine Jesus. In fact, on the contrary, uh, when John saw, uh, saw Jesus approaching the riverbank for baptism, he displayed quite extraordinary humility. Uh, his responses at, on encountering Jesus were, Behold, the Lamb of God, uh, he must increase, uh, he, I must decrease so that he can increase. Lord, he said to Jesus, it is you who should be baptizing me. John was the first uh, to recognize the adult Jesus for who he was, who he truly was. And um, if you caught last uh, Sunday's sermon, you will have heard our vicar Eddie say how in spite of all the miracles that uh, that Jesus performed, people failed to recognize him as the Messiah. 
And this was because of his ordinariness. He was just an ordinary man. He looked like an ordinary uh, young Jewish man of his time. But John the Baptist recognized Jesus and instantly became aware of his own weaknesses and his own imperfections. And you and I, as we get to know Jesus, will not only learn how much God loves us, but we'll also become aware of our own uh, failings and our shortcomings and our need. And John, in the presence of the perfect Son of God, knew instantly that he was going to be Jesus' servant, not the other way around. And from the moment, uh, from that moment on, he willingly took on a secondary supporting role. As, <coughs> as, I, thought, as I thought about this, I remembered how many years ago my wife Victoria and I um, went to a church weekend which was entirely devoted to followership. Um, most of us are more comfortable with the concepts of leadership and fellowship. But for any movement or organization or, or church to function well, you need those who gladly and joyfully embrace the calling of dynamic followership. Uh, if we follow the example of John the Baptist, uh, we too will cultivate a, a spirit of humility and trust and strength. All these things are needed to support and encourage those that God has put before us in positions of, of servant leadership. But now let us turn from John's humility to his call for repentance. John understood better than anyone else uh, how sin creates a barrier between us and God. And in order to be in a right relationship with him, we need to repent of our sins. A true repentance means making a 180 degree turn away from uh, a life uh, that, that doesn't please God to a life that honors and, 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 and respects our Heavenly Father. Uh, true repentance, and that pleases our Heavenly Father, that's more to the point. True repentance for, Jesus, for, for John was much more than uh, just um, mumbling some written down words during the confession in a church service. Uh, many people today see repentance as primarily as uh, giving information to God, but it, God is interested in our transformation, not in our information. Information means that we tell him about what's not going well in our lives and we explain that we feel broken and that our relationship with him also leaves much to be desired. And that is not too bad as a start, but all it means is that the Holy Spirit has highlighted certain areas in our lives that need to be changed and a further step is, is required. As I said, God is after our transformation, not our information. And true repentance is admitting that we need to change, that we need a change of direction. It is admitting that we're not capable of making the necessary changes in our own strength. It is admitting that without God, our condition remains hopeless. Uh, it is admitting that uh, we can't self-help our way out of our condition. It is admitting that we need a saviour. Uh, it is admitting that only, the only one who can help us make the necessary changes is God's own Son, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. True repentance, and this is important, true repentance is not just a single act. It is a journey. It is a process of being drawn ever closer uh, to the living God. It is a daily walk in the presence of, of and power of the Holy Spirit. It is consciously and deliberately turning our back 
on the causes of, of all the chaos and the darkness and sin in our lives. It is allowing Christ to enter our lives and take control of them. Repentance is saying no to wrongdoing one day at a time. It is the process of allowing God to, um, to eliminate from our lives all that has dominated us and enslaved us uh, for so long. It's only when we embark on that kind of process that we will know the joy and freedom of living as sons and daughters of the living God. Christ came into the world and went to the cross to carry away our sins and to restore our relationship with the Father. That's the good news. And the Bible tells us that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's John chapter 8. And one more thing, true repentance is not just about giving things up and letting things go. It is also about grabbing hold of. Um, it's not just about taking away a sin and leaving us with a great big empty hole in our lives that our sin used to fill. Uh, the Apostle John writes about letting go and about um, grabbing a hold of. Uh, in, we, can, we can read in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, hold on to what is good and reject what is evil. And then writing to the Philippians, Philippians 4, he tells us about what we should be holding on to. What are the things that we need to grab hold of when we let go of other things? He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. And the Bible continually and repeatedly reminds us that we have a loving God whose desire is to save us and not to condemn us. And when John the Baptist stood up to King Herod, it wasn't because he wanted to consign the king to hell. It wasn't primarily even to shame Herod or to um, have him removed from his throne. Uh, John stood up to Herod because God loved Herod. And because God loved Herod, uh, John would also have loved Herod. He knew that the only way the king could ever experience salvation and have a, a relationship of God as his father would be for Herod to turn away from sin. And so we discover uh, from our text that although Herod must have, must have hated what John was saying to him, uh, he developed a certain grudging a pleasure, uh, 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 sorry, a measure of respect and a grudging admiration and affection uh, for the Baptist. In verse 20 of our reading, it says, Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard, uh, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled and, uh, because he, and he liked uh, to listen to him. Uh, like so many people today, Herod was searching for answers that would bring some peace into the chaos of his life. And the only way that we can experience uh, that peace and experience freedom from the shame that comes from past wrongdoings is just to let go and then to grab hold. It is by laying our sins down at the foot of the cross uh, and letting our hearts be filled and our minds be filled with the things that will draw us uh, closer to God. The thi those things that scripture calls um, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. 
And uh, if there's ne ever been a good time, there's never been a better time than now to seek God and ask him to fix our lives during this time of isolation, uh, during this time when many of us find ourselves in our own personal desert places. Um, so having thought about um, the Baptist's humility and his call to repentance, uh, let us end by reflecting on his courage. Now, anyone who came in touch, in contact with John would have seen that he was a man of unwavering integrity and enormous courage. Um, John did not waver even when his very life was at stake. Uh, he told the truth to Herod and to Herod's wife, uh, calling them out on their sins of adultery and incest, uh, for Herodias was not only Herod's uh, brother's wife, but he was also Herod's niece. She was also Herod's niece. And I said, John did not primarily want to shame them or harm them. Uh, he was, but he was consistent in his message, forever um, calling out, challenging all forms of persistent wrongdoing and hypocrisy. Doubtless there were those who advised John to keep quiet. Um, there would have been friends who would have said to him, look, just keep your faith to yourself. Uh, others would have said, maybe, um, uh, you know, if, if, if Herod wants to have an affair with his sister-in-law, well, that's his business, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't really affect his role as king. Uh, just let, me, let him get on with it. But John would not be silenced. He would uh, go on speaking the truth, whatever the cost. And he, he was truly a man of boldness and great courage. And I'd like to end by telling you the story of a modern-day John the Baptist. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he was a German pastor, a theologian who wrote uh, a very famous book that is called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, Bonhoeffer uh, shared John the, the Baptist's passion uh, for total and total commitment to the truth. And in that, in Bonhoeffer's time, that meant uh, speaking out against uh, Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. Now, initially, uh, he found a safe haven to do his writing and preaching in, at an American university. However, at the start of the war in 1939, uh, Bonhoeffer wrote to his friend and colleague, Reinhold Niebuhr, and he said the following. He said, I've come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I, I must live through the difficult period of our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if, it, if I did not share in the trials of this time with my people. Bonhoeffer returned to Europe on the last scheduled passenger ship to cross the Atlantic. Um, he realized, of course, that he would be attacked and that he might even end up in jail or even end up dead for his convictions. At first, the authorities only warned him, uh, but in 1941, he was officially forbidden to preach or to write. Um, but he continued all the same, he did both. And then in mid-1943, he was arrested. And just as the war was coming to an end, uh, he was executed. Now, for even though Germany was about to surrender, the authorities, the German authorities, thought that the only way to stop Bonhoeffer was to murder him. John the Baptist and Dietrich Bonhoeffer were men of great integrity and great courage. But let us be clear about one thing. 
Um, although every evil needs to be challenged, not every one of us needs to challenge every evil. Um, like Bonhoeffer and John the Baptist, we need to choose our battles, or rather ask God to show us where on his battlefront he wants us to stand and fight. Um, few of us will ever have to endure the kind of suffering, the kind of um, torture and, and death that, that uh, um, Bonhoeffer and St. John the Baptist did. Um, or even the kind of persecutions that we see uh, of our fellow Christians presently uh, in parts of the Middle East and Africa and Asia and uh, India. But every one of us can choose without making a great song and dance about it to live lives that reflect the humility and the repentance and the courage that we've been thinking about this morning. Uh, when we do so, we will not just be disciples of Jesus Christ, but we will also raise up new disciples to help us build the kingdom of God in our generation. Uh, thank God we live in a country where we enjoy religious freedom. But even here, if we insist on standing up for biblical truth, we will attract uh, both derision and uh, and opposition. Um, and this should remind us that although there's great joy in uh, following Jesus, there's also a cost attached uh, to being a disciple. Well, that's the end, so let's pray. God our Father, we thank you once again for inspiring us with your word, uh, and we ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit uh, we may grow daily in those qualities of humility, repentance, and courage. Uh, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.